Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, this is Michael Kingswood coming at you again with story time. Hope everybody's had a good week. It's been a really good couple of weeks here at the Kingswood Abode. Um, in the last several months, I've been slacking in a lot of ways because my schedule is all jacked up. And had some stressors going on, and instead of dealing with the stressors in the right way, I kind of just let everything just kind of fall apart in some ways. And so I wasn't working out, my writing's been suffering, and that's just stuff just wasn't really going the way I, I should have been letting it go. And uh, <laughs> But we've uh, kind of overcome some of that. Uh, made, a few things have changed in the... Uh, family and schedule realm just made some changes and uh, things are starting to click again um, in the last two weeks I've been uh, lifting three times a week going to boxing class at least twice a week getting to running again I hadn't been running in it's been like a year and a half since I really done any good running because I was it, it's almost comic when you hear about it, because I was uh, in the end stages of training for a marathon, because I used to do a lot of marathons and triathlons and things like that. I was in stages of training for a marathon, and I broke my toe, which was really annoying. And then the marathon got canceled. Uh, and then my toe healed, and like the next week, I broke a toe in the other foot. And then this is... My toe finally, that toe healed, and I get to start running again, and next thing you know, my heels are just killing me. And it turns out that I caught plantar fasciitis, which, if you never had that, it sucks. It's really cow. There'd be some days where I'd go work out or run, and the next day, I literally couldn't get out of bed and couldn't put any weight on my heel at all. Like tiptoeing across the freaking room because it hurt so bad. I was like, "What in the devil?" And went to the podiatrist and all the things. And they gave me a whole bunch of different exercises to do to supposedly help with it. Didn't help. And uh, I was like, "Well, I guess I'm not running. At least I got my bike. I can still ride my bike." But um, yeah. Anyway, so I focused more on lifting and I focused more on uh, boxing class. But like I said, the last uh, several months, with all these other things going on, I haven't been doing much of either. But since I got all this stuff squared away the last two weeks, I've been <clears throat> really killing it. Boxing consistently, lifting consistently, got my uh, bench backed up to uh, where, where it was before I quit. <laughs> before I put, you know, quit, I guess is the best way to say it. Uh, back up to uh, doing 5x5 uh, five five sets with uh, about... No, I did 220 yesterday. It was it was 225 before I stopped. So I was like, okay, well, that's good. Five sets at 220. Um, <clears throat> 225, of course, is the minimum goal I wanted because that's what the NFL does, right? You go to the 
NFL training camp, and they're like, you want to be drafted? Go do bench presses with 225. See so something you can do. And uh, they want you to do 20. Now I'm doing sets of five. So not quite NFL standards, but <laughs> for whatever reason, that's stuck in my head for a long time. So if I'm doing sets of five at 225, that means my max, uh, one rep max is probably around 250, which isn't too bad. I'd like to get it up a little higher, though, because now i got this thought in my head of getting to the 1,000-pound club. Anyway, as far as that's going, i got my squats. I didn't do any squat workouts from high school until about a year ago because, A, I hated squats, and, B, I was running and I was doing bicycle rides and karate and kung fu and all sorts of leg work and I was like ah screw squats but <clears throat> it's not the same and I had never even heard of deadlifts because I wasn't really all that into <laughs> lifting so you know my deadlifts right now suck but uh, my squats I got them up above 300 to 305 I was doing 305 on Friday and it was like wow this when I get it above 300 I was uh it's like man this is so much harder then I packed it up to 305, and I was like, yeah, it's hard, but it's not as hard as 300. What's up with that? And, of course, it's a psychological thing, right? It's, it's got this thing in your head. It's a great big hurdle, 300. And I was like, ooh, well. So, uh, whereas 305, is like, oh, I've already crossed the big hurdle, right? So, uh, so sets of five with that. So probably maxing out, what, around 330 or so, which eh, I, I have no idea how respectable that is. But if you want to get the thousand pound club, if I get my deadlift up to four hundred and bent and and uh, squat to three fifty and bench at two fifty, then hey, that that's a thousand pound club right there. So uh, yeah, so a <laughs> little ways off from that still. But hey, it's doable. Getting there. It's a vanity thing, but it's also important to be in shape, right? Anyway, that, long story short, it's been a good couple weeks. And uh, so feeling pos- positive about stuff. Got my schedule figured out. Got workout figured out. Uh, balance with family and work a little bit figured out. And now I just need to apply that more to writing. And uh, I'm going to. And so the rest of the year is going to be good. And move forward, it'll be even better. Um, so, yeah. So that's what's up here. Uh, we'll just go straight into Coomer uh, Vale, shall we? Last time we left, uh, Radric and Julian and Melanie were talking about the results of Radric and Salam's scouts into the uh, bad guys' abode, and they were coming up with a new plan. And so now we rejoin them to see what's going up with that. I'll uh, hope you enjoy. I'll talk to you on the flip side. Chapter 21 Observation Melanie met Radric and Julian after the morning's archery instruction, and they all walked to Constable Mallory's office. Unlike the last few times Julian had been there, both Constable and Deputy were present. They sat in their respective desks looking over paperwork of some sort or other. For a town that was normally quiet, those two seemed to have a lot of paperwork. Mallory looked up as they walked in and nodded in greeting. Gentlemen? Then his eyes widened and he smiled with what appeared to be pleasure. That was different. And Mistress Clemens... To what do I owe this pleasure? Have you been able to find the answer to that question from yesterday? Radric asked. The constable frowned and made a noncommittal gesture. I'd rather we talk about it in private. Melanie's lips compressed into a frown. If what Julian had observed from her so far was any indication, she was about to let fly. Radric beat her to it, though. Melanie's working with us now. You can talk freely with her. 
Constable Mallory blinked in surprise. Oh, that is surprising. I don't see why it should be, Mr. Mallory, Melanie said coolly. Well, it's just that... Mallory trailed off as Melanie's stare became more and more icy, and her frown became a scowl. Apparently not a total fool, he cleared his throat and gestured towards Fendig. We haven't learned much yet. Fendig's been on it. Fendig coughed, looking uncomfortable as their gazes turned to him. We have not received any reports of additional raids or robberies since Farzel met with the mayor. Are you sure they had just attacked someone? Radric replied, That's what they said, and they had enough money on them, so it certainly looked like it. Fendig frowned and looked through his documents again. He shook his head, looking confused. I don't know where the attack could have taken place then. No one has reported any trouble at all. That is odd, Julian murmured. Radric shrugged, however. Well, whatever. We'll figure it out eventually. Turning back to Mallory, he cleared his throat. <clears> throat> We've been making better progress with our recruits than I expected. I think they're almost ready to take into action. Well, that's good. What did you have in mind? Now that we know the location of their base, we're going to deploy some of our men to keep an eye on them. Once we know their operating patterns well enough, we'll begin harassing them. If we hurt them enough, they may start thinking there are better places to be than here in Glimmervale. Constable Mallory did not look impressed. No offense, but your last plan didn't work out very well. Why should this one turn out any differently? Because this is not their plan, Mr. Mallory. It is mine, Melanie said in her best, most condescending tone. Annoying as it was to be on the receiving end of that tone of voice, Julian had to admit it was effective. The constable blinked, looking defensive all of a sudden. I appreciate that, Mistress Clemens, but... Do you have a better idea, constable? asked Radric. Mallory thought about it for a moment then shook his head with a shrug. In that case, we'd like your help. Anything we can do. Mallory stomped his feet and hugged his arms tightly across his chest, rubbing his upper arms vigorously. It was bloody freezing. When he said anything we can do, he thought Balatir would ask him to help prepare defenses around town or something. Not sit out in the middle of nowhere all night and freeze his tail off. He and one of Balatir's fishing men, Gilroy, were camped on a hilltop near a great crack in the hillside. Balatir and his friends called it a chasm, but that was a misnomer if ever Mallory heard one. It was more like a chimney than a chasm. But then Balatir did not strike him as much of an outdoorsman. Probably never tried his hand at mountain climbing, or he would have known the difference. There was no way that thirty to forty men were encamped in that little crack, so what in the hell was he doing here? He would bet two to one this was just some scheme to get him out of town so those two and their little trollop could do God's new what-all without interference. This is a waste of time, he grumped. Gilroy shook his head, looking at Mallory with a mocking grin. You didn't have to come, Constable. Mallory scowled. He didn't have to take that from a fishing man. He opened his mouth to retort, but stopped. What are you doing, Gilroy? Filling in a hole. I see that. Why? That's the second hole you've dug in the last ten minutes. Gilroy spread his hands in a no-idea kind of way. Just doing what the lady told me. How's that? Gilroy stood and picked up a small bag that was sitting on the ground next to him. Fishing inside it, he pulled out a small object and held it out to Mallory. She said to take these and bury them in a ring around our campsite. Wouldn't say why. Mallory accepted the object and turned it over in his fingers. It was just a small piece of rock, mica from the look of it, with a small engraving of a person crouched beneath a shelter of some kind on one side. What is this? Don't know. She just said to bury him with the carving facing outward and we would be safe through the night. Great. 
superstitious nonsense. That was all he needed. It was bad enough the mayor insisted on shackling him with that pair, but now they brought a bloody-minded woman into it with a bunch of silly notions. He shook his head vigorously. I'll have none of that foolishness. Rocks to keep us safe? He snorted and tossed the rock off into the grass. Safe from what? Gilroy gasped as Mallory threw the rock away. Sir, she said it was very important, he said, and he bounded off in search of it. How he thought to find it in a quickly fading light was beyond Mallory. Get back here, Gilroy, you fool! Gilroy hesitated. He looked back and forth between the grass and Mallory, indecision on his face. Mallory scowled and waved vigorously for him to come back. Now, Gilroy! The fishing man looked one last time at the grass where the rock fell, then nodded and walked back to camp, his eyes downcast. She was very specific, Constable. He snorted again. <laughs> Specifically foolish. Mallory turned and stomped over to the edge of the hill. The last of the light was just about gone, but he could just make out the valley below and the bottom of the chimney. Nothing moved down there. Nothing would all night, either. To hell with it. Damned if he was going to stay up all night for nothing. He threw himself down onto the ground and pulled a blanket over himself. You've got first watch, he growled to Gilroy. Then he rolled over to go to sleep. Gilroy ran. Despite the burning in his lungs from breathing the cold night air, despite the crushing pain in his side and the wetness running down his hip and thigh, despite the fatigue that made his legs feel like rubber, despite every part of his body screaming at him to stop, to rest, he ran because to not run was to die. He couldn't hear his pursuers anymore, but he knew they were back there, somewhere in the darkness. They had been on his tail for hours, it felt like. To think they had decided to stop chasing him now after all that time was foolhardy at best. So he kept on running. They came just after midnight, as he was turning over the watch to the constable. It had taken forever to wake him up, and then he had done nothing but grumble before finally getting up to take the watch. But then Gilroy figured that's why he had become constable in the first place. He would have been kicked off even the slackest boat on a lake inside of a week. Until recently, there was not much for the constable to do in the Vale except tell himself how important he was. Mallory was custom-made for that sort of job. Gilroy lay down and wished again that Raedric and Julian had not forbidden fires. It was going to take forever to get to sleep in the cold, especially with Mallory stomping around. Eventually, he managed to set aside his general discomfort and doze off. The sound of a twig snapping startled him to wakefulness. Sitting upright, he ignored the rush of cold as his blanket fell off his body and looked around. Mallory stood off to the side, closer to the edge of the chimney, looking down into the valley. Did you hear that? Gilroy whispered as urgently as he dared. Mallory turned his head toward Gilroy and sniffed. Go back to bed or I will. No, really, I heard something. Gilroy stood up. As he did, he heard a soft whistling, then something slammed into his side and sent him tumbling back to the ground. For a heartbeat, there was no pain, only the shock of impact and an unusual feeling of pressure. Then that all gave way to agony. He heard himself cry out before he realized he was doing it. Anxiously grasping at his side, his hand came to rest on a long, thin piece of wood. An arrow. On the other side of the camp, Mallory shouted an oath. Gilroy looked toward him and saw several dark shapes emerging from the undergrowth around the camp. They advanced on the constable. He drew his sword and made an attempt at fighting back, but it was obvious he was not going to last long before they brought him down beneath the weight of their numbers. In a panic, Gilroy clawed at the dirt, crawling away from the constable and his attackers. He had to get away. He felt a flash of shame, but forced it down. There was nothing he could do for Mallory. He had to take his own life into consideration now. 
Gilroy reached a small tree near the edge of the camp and, grabbing hold of the trunk, pulled himself to his feet. He almost collapsed again. Every movement sent a new rush of pain from his wound, but he managed to keep his feet. Leaning against the tree for a moment, he looked back and saw Mallory pinned to the ground beneath a great bear of a man. Three others stood nearby, one of them grasping at his arm as though wounded. That was something, at least. Tie him up, ordered the wounded one in an unexpectedly high tenor. Where is the other one? He went down over there. One of the others turned to point toward where Gilroy had fallen and breathed a curse when he saw that Gilroy was no longer there. Find him, you fool, barked the leader. Gilroy did not need any more encouragement. He turned and ran as fast as he could, which, admittedly, was not very fast. Every step was new agony as the arrow wrenched in his wound. He became lightheaded from the pain and exertion and from the knowledge that they would catch up to him any moment. Yet, somehow, they did not, and he found himself still running, though in honesty it was more a slow, hunched jog than a run. At some point, he could hardly remember when, he had snapped the arrow off in the wound. It hurt enough that he actually passed out for a moment, but he managed to make better time without the shaft impeding the movement of his arms. Gilroy managed to smile in spite of it all. There ahead of him, as the western sky began to lighten from the pre-dawn glow, he could just make out the east flow. He was almost home. Chapter 22 Repercussions This is a disaster! A total disaster! Julian looked over at Fendig and felt a surge of contempt. Ever since they received the news of what happened, he had been less than useless. He fidgeted, whined, and paced, but didn't actually contribute anything of use. It was clear why he was the deputy and Mallory was the man in charge. Calm down, man, he said. It's not as bad as all that. At least Gilroy made it back so we know what happened. Fendig sniffed and turned away, clearly not encouraged at all. Julian just rolled his eyes. The real question is what to do now. The mayor did not look any more pleased than Fendig. And, truth be told, Julian was upset as well, though he suspected not for the same reason they were. They cared about Mallory, and that was fine. In Julian's mind, the greater cause to be upset, angry even, was that the whole thing was preventable. If they had just set up the ring like Melanie told them to. Now you do your mayor thing and keep everyone calm, Radric said. We'll continue fortifying the town. That's it? Radric nodded. That's it for now. What about the constable? Fendig demanded. Those thugs have him. Who knows what they'll do? What they'll do is question him vigorously, Julian began. You mean torture? Most likely. Then, when they've learned all they think they can, they'll either kill him or send us a demand for ransom. Fendig paled and licked his lips. Kill him? It's possible, Radric replied, looking askance at Julian. But not likely. Eisenhoff knows Lyttelton values him, so he is worth more alive than dead. I'd expect a ransom demand. Looking at the mayor, he put on an apologetic expression. Looks like the payment due next week just got a bit bigger. The mayor sighed and slumped into his chair. I suppose so. He barked out a half-laugh and shook his head. <laughs> Not that it matters. We don't have the funds to pay the original demand as it is. Leave that to us, remember? Mayor Brimley nodded. The mayor's right, you know, Radric said as he and Julian left the town hall. About what? We need to do something else besides fortify. Julian shrugged. Hiram and Rolf are good shots. The others are becoming decent. Why don't we just attack? We were going to in a few days anyway. Radric shook his head. They'd kill Mallory for sure. 
And that will be his own damn fault. Bloody fool. They turned into the stable yard of the Orlock. The midday customers were beginning to roll in from the look of things. Pleasant odors wafted from the open windows to the kitchen, reminding Julian that it had been a long time since breakfast. He picked up the pace toward the taproom door, but froze as Radric grabbed his arm. Julian turned around to tell him to let go, but his friend suddenly wore a deadly serious expression. Moving in a bit closer, Radric spoke in a low tone of voice. Maybe not. Ian Gilroy had the first shift, and they lit no fire. Even with Melanie's concealment circle incomplete, don't you think it was awfully convenient that Eisenhoff's men showed up right then? Julian frowned. He's not a fool. He probably has his men do sweeps every so often. Yes, but to find them so quickly, they could have been stationed on any one of a dozen hilltops nearby. Julian saw where he was going, and did not like it one bit. You think he's getting information from someone? Radric nodded. It's the only explanation that makes sense. Someone told him where to look for our scouts and when. There's only a few people who knew the plan. I know. Well, that didn't work. Man, I hate it when a plan doesn't come together, don't you? It's almost like whoever wrote this book is a meanie pants who just likes making things difficult for his characters or something. Man, what a jerk. Well, hey, at least Gilroy got away. Hopefully the gospel's all right, or not dead. Uh, I guess we'll find out. We'll find out what happens next uh, next week. Um, of course, you can find out immediately. All you got to do is buy the book. You can get it from Amazon or iBooks or Kobo or any place else you can buy books. You can get the audiobook from Audible or iTunes or audiobooks.com or Kobo or any place you can get audiobooks. But the best place to get them, because I get the most money, is straight from my website at ssnstorytelling.com. Up to you. Hey, if you want to drop me a line, uh, come by michaelkingswood.com, send me an email. I've got the Facebook page at facebook.com slash michael.kingswood. I'll tell you, I'm almost never there because, as I've said before, I hate Facebook. And uh, really the only reason I even have that anymore is for this writer thing. And I'm there so off, I'm there so unoften, I almost don't know why I bother. Uh, but it is still there. <clears throat> Occasionally I'll go check it out and uh, we go from there. Um, yeah, if you want to get in on uh, the mailing list so you know when my new stuff comes out before anybody else does and so you can get special deals, uh, go to my website at michaelkingsworth.com and sign up there. Otherwise, just come back here next week and we'll uh, continue. Uh, please like, subscribe if you haven't already. Pass the word on to your friends if you're liking these stories and like me and want to help me out and tell people about what we're doing here. And, uh, yeah, until that, I hope, I hope you have a great week. Uh, don't do anything that I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com, where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mailing list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.